Do you know when you're in school and then the teacher comes in on Monday morning and it says, test time? Never made the announcement ahead of time. Never checked with you. Never told you. Never warned you. Didn't tell you what the questions are going to be or anything like this. You remember those days? Well, I sure do. Hated them. (laughs) I detested those tests. So I'm going to do one with you today. (laughs) Nobody should read this but you. I don't want you to think about it. That's why it's a surprise. Okay? Here's a test. You don't have to fill the whole page. (laughs) Only one line. Just one sentence. One line. My life's desire. Just put it in a summary form. One line. I'm going to tell you in a minute. I'm going to explain to you that there is a method in my madness. Okay? After you write this down, and you take it home and you put it in a, a safe place. If it's your Bible, that's fine. If somewhere else in a drawer, fine. And then I want you to regularly go back and read it. And so five years from now, you get it out and you read it. Then, 15, 20, 30 years, unless the Lord Jesus comes back or you go and see him face to face, get this out and read it. And ask yourself the question, has the desire of my heart changed? And has it changed for the good or for the not so good? Has the desire of my heart for the glory of God? Or it has ceased to seek after the glory of God? Is the desire of my heart has grown in intensity? Or has it gone cold? And my love for Christ became cold. And therefore my desire has gone cold. This is a great instrument. Back in 1969, I wrote The Desire of My Heart on a piece of paper. In 1969, I wrote one line, Desire of My Heart, as I was convicted to verbalize the desire of my heart before the Lord. Now, you know, most preachers like to give you the fluff. They love to tell you about all the victories in their lives, and they tell you about all the great great times and the great blessings, and they leave out the challenges. They leave out the difficulties, and they leave those out. But I can't do that. I got to be, I got to come clean with you. I got to be truthful with you. Throughout these years, from the time in 1969 when I wrote those words down, I have faced many a difficulty. The desire of my heart went up and came down. I have faced some deep valleys and some high mountains. I have faced insurmountable obstacles and difficulties that there was no way out. I have faced times when I was so discouraged and despaired of life. I faced mockery and ridicule from some. I faced disappointment and even depression. I have faced misunderstanding on the part of some of my close friends. I remember one time I cried with Jeremiah, wondering what life is all about. There were times when I sat in despair, thinking that I have gone ahead of the Lord. I made a terrible mistake, and that desire of my heart was not of the Lord at all, and I was ready to give up. But I can testify to you, to the glory of God, that through it all, God sustained me and assured me that he will give me the desire 
of my heart because the desire of my heart was honoring to God. And I knew that. I intellectually knew that. Emotionally, I knew that. Biblically, I knew that. What was that desire of my heart that I wrote down back on that day in 1969? Was simply put, to make Jesus known to millions of people throughout the world. Have I ever been concerned that this desire may take a detour? Yes, at times, on occasions. But for most of the time, I can testify to the power of God and to the promise of God that He gave me day in and day out, that He who began a good work is able to bring it to completion. Why do I want you to go through this exercise? Why am I taking you through this exercise? What has this got to do with the Ten Commandments? With the first one, at least. I want to tell you why. Listen to me carefully, beloved. Because crowding God out of your life is a temptation that is forever lurking in the dark. Because crowding God out of your life is forever present temptation as holding out its shiny lure. Because crowding God out of our lives is daily chasing us. Because crowding God out is forever a temptation that is running us down and will not give up. That's why. You say, well, Michael, Michael, I thought, I thought idolatry. Isn't idolatry is the Buddhists and the Hindus and those people who bow down to statues and bow down to images. Isn't that what idolatry is all about? (laughs) Almost right. Almost right, but not quite. Because to them, it's a way of life. But idolatry is a temptation for the believer. To them, it's a way of life. But to you and to me, idolatry is a temptation. You say, what is idolatry then? Listen to me carefully. Idolatry is anything and underline anything. And anybody underline anybody other than the Lord Jesus Christ occupies the center of your life. Do you want me to repeat this? I will whether you like it or not. Idolatry is the temptation of having anything or anybody to take the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. I want to show you a biblical example of how that can happen and has happened. One day, God asked a very powerful man, a very important man. God said to him, here's a piece of paper, not quite, but almost, write down the desire of your heart figure speech. When God shows up and says, what's the desire of your heart? You better respond. This man responded right away. He knew exactly what the desire of his heart was. There was no lag time. Listen, when God asks you to write down the desires of your heart, it's not like I'm asking you. It's a whole different ballgame. When God asks you, you better jump fast on it because it's a chance of your life. I don't want you to misunderstand me, please. This is no genie in the bottle and, and give you three wishes and, and then you get your wishes and, and you move on. No, 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 no. Don't misunderstand me. We, this, this is the God of power and might we're talking about. This is the God, the creator of all the galaxies we're talking about. This is the God of the universe who's asking you. First King chapter 3, verse 5. God appears to Solomon and he says, What's your pleasure, Solomon? And it's a rough translation, but you get the meaning. What is the desire of your life? 
Solomon's answer will tell you that this man, at that point of his life, wanted to worship no one but God. He wanted to worship the Lord with all his heart. He wanted to worship the Lord with all his might. He wanted to worship the Lord with all his strength. Then Solomon asked for what? Did he ask for wealth? No. If he wanted wealth, he could have said, God, give me gold, lots of gold. But he didn't. Did he want power? Did he ask for power? If he wanted power, he could have said, God, please, kill all my enemies so I can rule supreme. He didn't ask for that. Did he ask for sensuality? He would have asked, God, give me lots of beautiful women. But he didn't ask for that. But at that point of his life, Solomon wanted to worship the living God alone. He wanted to worship the God of his forefather, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob alone. He wanted to worship the God of his father, David, alone. And so he asked for wisdom. He said, I want wisdom. So I can rule my people righteously. That's all he asked for. He didn't ask for anything else. He just asked for wisdom. And God gave him the desire of his heart. So much so that Solomon was considered to be the wisest man in the Old Testament. Solomon also was a man of prayer. I want to tell you something. If you ever want to get your heart really warmed, when you're sometime alone, get the Bible out. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and read Solomon's prayer. I want to tell you something. It will absolutely warm your heart. This was a man of prayer. This man was a spiritual giant. This man wanted nothing but God's glory. He wanted nothing but Jehovah's splendor. That's all he wanted in life. Kings and queens and important people came from all over the world just to catch a glimpse of the wisdom of this man that has given to him supernaturally. But you know, there's one thing you need to know about God. If you don't know it, you'll know it now. I want you to listen to me. When your desire is his glory, he gives you everything else. That's what Jesus said. He said, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things, all of your needs are going to be met. He gives you everything. And so he did this with Solomon. He didn't only give him wisdom, he gave him wealth, he gave him power. I mean, Solomon was getting blessed out of his socks. But here's an important thing. I don't want you to miss this. The God who sees everything before it happens, who knows everything, said, Solomon, I want to give you a warning. And here's the warning in 1 King chapter 9. 1 King chapter 9, verses 4 to 7. God was warning him. There's nothing wrong with warning, by the way. I think it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to warn our children. It's a wonderful thing to warn one another. It's a wonderful thing to warn ourselves. It's a blessing. We think warning is such a negative thing. No, it's not. It's a blessing. And God is warning Solomon. Let me read it to you. If you observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. But if you turn away from me and do not observe the commands and the decrees that I have given you, and you go off and serve and worship other gods, then I will cut 
off Israel from the land that I've given them. And I will reject this temple that I have consecrated for my name. God's blessings to us can be used to bless others. Or they can be hoarded and bring a curse. God's blessings can be ruthlessly given away to bring glory to his name. Or it can be accumulated to become destructive. God's blessings can cause us to worship him with these blessings joyfully and turn back to him the blessings that he's given us. Or it can cause us to make an idol out of our blessings and cause us pain. God's blessings can be sown as seed for more blessings and greater blessings. Or it can be the seed of destruction. And we all know what happened to Solomon. God was patient with him. It did not only take years, it took decades. Decades. And he did not heed the warning of God. And he messed up so much so that few years later, Solomon looks at the piece of paper he wrote down, my life's desire, seek wisdom so that I can rule my people with righteousness. And he looks at this, and then he looks at the untold wealth that he, God gave him. Then he looks at the power, absolute power that he's got, and then he, he looks at the hundreds of beautiful maids and exotic concubines. And so Solomon looks at that piece of paper and he looks at all the blessings that God has given him and he remembers God's warning. And then he says, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. The scripture tells us that in 1 King chapter 11 verse 5, Solomon followed Ashtaroth, the goddess of Sidon, and Moloch, the detested god of the Amorites. Then in verse 9 of the same chapter, 1 King 11, verse 9, you read that God became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who appeared to him twice. Although God clearly and definitively had forbidden Solomon from following other gods. Solomon did not keep the Lord's commandment. And God said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and split and never been the same again, ever. Now, beloved, I want you to listen to this. God had not changed. God's character never changed. God's decrees have never changed. God's desire for his children to honor him, to please him first, has never changed. The question is, have you? I had to ask myself several times during the week, did Solomon went to the temple during that time when he was breaking the first commandment? Most likely, yes. I had to ask myself several times, Do you suppose that Solomon was offering sacrifices to the Lord while he was breaking the first commandments? Most likely, yes. He went through the motions. Do you think Solomon kept worshiping Yahweh while he was breaking the first commandment? And the answer, 
is most likely, yes, he just slowly but surely, slowly but surely, one inch here, one inch there, one God here, one God there. And then he woke up one morning and found himself waist deep in God's, miserable God's, not God's at all. You know, we're living in a time when we're seeing priests are messing up, preachers falling like fly. Let me tell you something. These things don't happen overnight. These things don't happen to you overnight. It's one inch at a time. Most people probably began with enthusiasm, want to serve God. They probably began with some commitment of some sort. Slowly but surely, inch by inch. Solomon probably said to himself, what we probably say in our hearts when we know we're having, we're crowding God out. Well, maybe this one God is so little, he, he surely can't impact my relationship with Jehovah. Surely not now. This is just so little. After all, I am the king of the chosen nation. You know, just this little one, it's okay. Well, this one, well, everybody else is doing that one. It couldn't be all that bad. Surely it's not an offense to Jehovah. And, well, this one, I guess, well, you know, we're in Rome. You do what people in Rome do, right? This one, well... If I grab for it right now, later on in my life, I might give it to the Lord. Slowly but surely, inch by inch, day by day, until there were too many gods. And Yahweh was pushed out in a corner. You know, i got to confess to you, I'm, I'm so glad that I lived long enough to see with my own eyes how some people become so spiritual, spiritual. They become so committed to the Lord. They're ready to dedicate everything to the Lord when they're in trouble, when they're in crisis, when they desperately need the prayers to be answered. They become great spiritual giants. And then I saw when the Lord answers their prayer and blesses them and prosper them, they tragically... Slowly but surely, their earlier commitment to the Lord is forgotten. They would say, well, you know, after all, I've got to be careful with what I've got. After all, you know, we cannot give everything away. Well, I don't, I've done enough. Let somebody else take the responsibility. I'm so glad I lived long enough, my beloved friends. I want to tell you why I'm saying this. I am so glad that I lived long enough to see firsthand what the Scripture says to be absolutely true, that wealth has wings and it flies, that health can plummet overnight, that life can be snuffed so fast. Why, why do I say I'm so glad I lived long enough to see this? Do you know why? Because that's a warning for me. That's an alarm bell for me, and it should be for you too. This is a reminder for me. The tragedy of Solomon's breaking the first commandment was that he began to worship the very gods that he detested and rejected earlier in his life. That's why it's tragic. The Word of God show us an example of this tragedy, and I want to show it to you 
in clear black and white so you don't miss it. I want to show it to you from the Scripture. I want to ask you, other than seeking wisdom from God, what was Solomon's number one goal in life? What did he want to do? His number one goal was to build a temple. His father, David, wanted to build it, and God said, you have too much blood in your hand, David. You cannot build it. Solomon will build it. Solomon goes, I will build a great temple for the Lord. And that was his number one goal. You know what the Bible said in 1 Kings chapter 6? It took seven years for Solomon to build the temple. And you go right down, chapter 7, right next to it. And it says it as by way of rebuke. It says that it took Solomon 13 years to build his palace. He cut the check of the tithe to the Lord, and then he lavishly spent it all on himself. Now, beloved, I want to tell you something that I hope you'll never forget. As long as you live, don't forget what I'm going to tell you right now. That God is more concerned with what you do with the 90% that you keep than with the 10% that you give Him. God is more concerned with what you do with the 90% that you keep than with the 10% that you give Him. When God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the slavery, you shall have no other God but me. He has never changed his mind. He has never changed his standards. He has never changed his demands. He has never changed his his expectations. He has never changed his law. And Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You cannot do it. I don't care how brilliant theologian you might be. I don't care how great spiritual man or woman you might be. You cannot do it. Jesus said you cannot, and you cannot. What is Jesus saying? You cannot serve God and mammon. What is he saying? He's saying that money is a master, a ruthless master. And either you are going to live under the authority of God or under the authority of money. You can do both. Solomon began by wanting to live under God's authority. That's how he began. And he ended up living under the authority of wealth and power and sex. And his life ended up in tragedy. Listen, I know and you know that our culture, that our advertising industry, that our media, that our educational system, they are all geared up to convince us, the greatest spiritual among us, they are geared up to convince us that the first commandment is that you shall have no other God but yourself. And therefore, self-indulgence and self-worship is the religion of the day. You are worth it, baby. Go ahead and live a little. And before you know it, you have placed yourself ahead of God. Some of you young people never probably have gone through this exercise of writing the desire of your heart on a piece of paper. Keep it. Some of you may have done this 
whether it's in writing or verbalized it, sometime back in your life, many years ago, a few years ago. Only you and God know that. Perhaps you said that you want to serve the Lord full time. Perhaps you said that you want to give more sacrificially when God blesses you. Perhaps you wanted to serve God in some capacity. Perhaps you said, God, I want to bring glory to your name in some way. Whatever it was, whatever it was, are you still on track? Are you still on track? Or have other gods and God's substitutes very slowly crept into your life? And crowded God out of your life. And now your love for Jesus is cold. Oh, you might be still going through the motions. Are you passionate and compassionate as you once desired? Or have you allowed bitterness and disappointments and insecurities in your life to freeze your heart out? Jesus wrote, These words to the church in Ephesus. He said, all that you may return to your first love. And we know from history that it was too late for the church in Ephesus to go back to their first love. And they're wiped out today. But I want to tell you on the authority of the Word of God, it's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late for any of us that we may return to our first love. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.